You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag Stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, I'm really excited to see you. For everyone that can't see uh, what I'm seeing, your hair looks perfect today. Oh, thank you. I know. <laughs> Ball joke again. <laughs> <laughs> you started it. Okay, okay. Well, um, I'm excited to be here today as well, Ryan, and uh, really excited about our guest. Uh, we we have, uh, as, as in the little chat before uh, before they start, we have a Dr. Dr. Helen Dellum. And uh, the reason why she's Dr. Dr. because she graduated from the vet school um, in 2010 and has been working in a small practice and large animal practice, as well as in a diagnostic and public administration. But she also has a strong personal interest in mental health among veterinarians and is currently doing a PhD with the Norvet Project, investigating work and mental health among veterinarians in Norway. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for finding the time. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you guys better and uh, talk a lot about vets and mental health. Well, there's a lot of conversation about vets and mental health. And uh, can you tell us, please, how did you decide to pivot from the veterinary medicine to starting to learn about veterinary medicine from the other uh, angle, from the mental health angle? Yeah, that's a really nice question. Um, I guess I've always had an interest for psychology in addition to veterinary medicine. And with the Norvet project, I've been very lucky to integrate these two, um, being able to study veterinarians in more depth. But when I was applying for my higher education, I was standing between the choice of of, uh, psychology studies and veterinary medicine studies. And I chose veterinary medicine, of course. But as many other people, as you know, I faced some, some heavy struggles during vet school. Um, and that's not uncommon. And I, uh, this was at the time where I had my clinical exams, which is the period in the study time where you have very high expectations, you know. And I experienced quite heavy panic anxiety attacks. And I was stunned by, you know, I, I don't really remember much from that day, but I remember ending up at my couch in my apartment I was shivering and shaking, Uh, my palms were sweaty, my throat was tightening, and my heart was pounding. And I quite quickly realized that this wasn't a heart attack, because it it felt really physical. And I understood that, okay, this is probably, you know, I I had been stressed for a lot of weeks, right, before the clinical exams. And, you know, during that time, I thought that they, this was due to, you know, the pressure of being a vet student and, and getting good grades and everything. But looking retrospect, it's quite obvious to me that it was the total amount of stress and pressure in my life in total. Uh, because at the same time that I was doing my clinical exams, which is heavy in itself, I was also working part-time to be able to pay for my apartment. It's quite expensive to live in Oslo. I was uh, doing some free working at a small animal clinic to, you know, get experience and see the interesting cases. And at the same time, uh, I experienced that someone that stood very close to me tried to uh, attempt suicide. So 
this was just a total, you know, a total toll on me as a, as a human um, that made me break down. And this is not, I was quite surprised as well of the very physical uh, signs that were present during this anxiety attacks, because I could literally feel the molecules of anxiety floating in my veins. And people who hasn't experienced anxiety or mental distress or mental illness, I don't think they really grasp the physical part of it, but because it, that was a really strong physical experience. But I um, got help really quick, uh, luckily, and um, anxiety is one of the mental illnesses that are quite uh, quickly uh, curable. But I felt a deep urge to begin to talk about this because no one of my fellow students or my closest friends were talking about mental health at all. So there was a discrepancy between, you know, my experience and the lack of conversation about it. So I started, um, I wrote a debate article in the veterinary journal about, okay, we need to start talking about these things. Because when I uh, came public with my story, many fellow students and, and colleagues came to me and said, well, you know, I've been experiencing the same thing. Thank you for putting a face to it. So this was back in 2010, you know, my first experience with anxiety. Uh, and we started working on the Nordvet project to get the finances in order. Uh, so we have used three or four years to get money to, to do this research. We started formally in 2020. So it's been a long journey, but um, yeah, it was the, the discrepancy between I, me knowing very many veterinarians and, and vet students struggling and no one talking about it. So I've, I felt an urge to put it on the agenda. Yeah, and your your study uh, unveiled the phenomenal statistics. It, it says that the nearly 30% of vets had suicidal thoughts during the last year. Is that true? Yeah, uh, we actually sent this uh, survey to all registered veterinarians in Norway. And, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the advantage of being a small country, we, we are only three and a half thousand veterinarians in Norway in total. All 12 responded. Yeah. <laughs> and 75% of them responded. <clears throat> and I think that, or at least I hope that that reflects um, that the veterinarians in Norway find this research important. And this hasn't been measured, measured before. And we unfortunately don't have uh, the measure of uh, the prevalence of suicidal thoughts in the general population, but they have measured the same statistics in other occupational groups in Norway as physicians and police officers. Uh, and veterinarians score higher than the other occupational groups that have been investigated uh, previously. So that's a relatively high number. And as a nation, um, I'll be a somewhat ignorant American on this, right? But within the Scandinavian countries, what is the perception on mental health and what's sort of the prevalence of, of that discussion? Uh, I know in the U.S. we're trying to turn the corner a bit and, and have more open discussions about it, but it's still something that some people find confusing or for men, you know, not strong or not tough or things like yeah. that. So there are difficulties there too. Um, what is it like in the, you know, where you are? In general, people tend to say that we have a quite open debate on mental health issues, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. And I've seen a major shift in the public debate, at least uh, within the veterinary profession from 2018 until now. And back in 2010, when I experienced my 
anxiety. It's been a major shift because then no one talked about it at all. Uh, and then we just started, you know, nudging <laughs> the profession to talk a bit about these things. And now it's uh, actually a topic for seminars and conferences, education uh, and so on. So it's it's uh, starting to, uh, and my hope, it's that we integrate the discussion on mental health as a part of, of working health because, you know, the head is attached to our body. So it's not a strange thing. It's, it's very physiological also. Um, I think it's really important to set this on the map and, and increase the basic knowledge of psychology because it affects us all in every part of our lives. This is, you know, this, this is a huge finding. So do you think there's, um, there's a higher risk for veterinarians? I always thought that the fact that veterinarians have uh, access to medications that can actually facilitate the suicide attempt. Do you think that we're at higher risk for that? Because I'm always looking at, you know, the, in the professions like truck drivers and uh, surgeons and pilots, there's limitation and they have to keep the logbox and understand how many hours. And hours is not the only reason for it, I understand. But at least limiting, you know, we, we go into, sh you know, 12, 14 hour shifts and then write records for another five. And then yet we have, the, you know, the solution to, to perform euthanasia at, you know, right available right there. So do you think we're at higher risk because of that? And should there be something that I'm looking at? Should we have the limits of how much vet can work? A really interesting question. I think you're uh, right. Uh, we are looking actually further into the euthanasia aspect of the veterinary profession in our uh, third article in the project. And I, I'm very excited to, to look deeper into that. But it's clear that, you know, the medical profession as a whole with the physicians, the dentists, the veterinarians, they generally have higher suicide rates than other professions. And it's quite, you know, you can, you can in a way um, say that that's expected because they are medical professionals, right? Uh, and there have been two, I think, large uh, register-based studies from the U.S. that shows that self-poisoning is actually the uh, most commonly used method in suicides among veterinarians. So I definitely think that the access question is is very relevant to the veterinary profession. The thing that separates us from physicians, because physicians also have access to, I don't know how strict it is in the US, but in Norway, all the sales of medicinal products have to go through a pharmacy. So if a doctor was to, you know, prescribe potentially lethal drugs for himself, he would have to go to the pharmacy. And that's a threshold you have to, you know, get over. But most veterinarians have barbiturates in their shelf in the clinic. So we have a more prompt access. That's that's uh, unquestionable. Yeah, you know, speaking of the, the access. So there's very strict rules in North America that you have to have a safe. And in a lot of clinics that I worked, it is in the safe. And the key to the safe is on the nail next to the safe for convenience. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, there are rules, but, you know, depends how, how people, and there's drug logs and stuff like that. But I think, you know, hiding the method is not really the solution to this. And, you know, and I'll, you know, give a plug to Galaxy in this case. So we're building this organization that is preventing the reasons why people can go into the into the burnout. But in terms of the stigma around it, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but I went through a burnout myself and almost lost my life to a suicide mm. attempt. And um, and luckily, I, you know, I changed happiness in my life for the last 11 years and continuing to do so. But the side effects that it had on, you know, alcohol consumption and prescription drugs for me, which was the fact, was tremendous shame to 
actually think about it as something that is treatable mm -hmm. rather than something to be ashamed of. So do you see that direction that people, the effects of it and how it manifests itself, limiting people from self-disclosure and seeking for solutions? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Just to, to go back to your point on restricting access, I, I, you know, that's not feasible, I think, in clinical practice. Euthanasia is a part of our daily work, right? So with that being said, it's, it's tremendously important that we do the preventive health mental health measures right for the veterinarians. Uh, and to your second question about the stigma, I definitely think that that's a huge problem. There has been some studies on physicians in Norway and of the physicians reporting that they have had mental illness the last year, only 40 to 50% actually asked for help or sought help. So we are uh, aware of that medical professionals tend to not seek help when they struggle. And I think that's multifaceted, really, because one thing is that we don't have the basic knowledge. We are, you know, from vet school, we are drilled in physical symptoms for UTIs, for uh, heart problems, for, you know, liver uh, failure and so on. But we aren't trained in recognizing mental health symptoms. So I think we need to, you know, increase the basal knowledge on, you know, psychoeducation, really. And this is probably a public health problem uh, and not a veterinary specific problem, because at least in Norway, there's no um, teaching in, in elementary school in mental health. You, we learn our kids how many teeth they have, how many ribs they have, but no one teaches them how many feelings you have and how they can be felt in the body and how our thoughts uh, connect with our feelings and how this affects our behavior. So this is really, really complex, of course. So we need to learn veterinarians how to recognize symptoms, number one. Number two, many people don't know where to get help or it's uh, not easily accessible. In Norway, we have quite long waiting lists for getting the chance to talk to a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And of course, it's a stigma part, uh, both internalized and the public stigma that you expect from peers and, and colleagues and, and the those around you. So, and, and I find that really weird because when you're having physical problem, you, uh, you break your arm, for example, you go to a doctor, it's obvious you need medical help, right? And you get fixed and you're back to work and you're in good health. But when it comes to mental health issues, you first of all have to recognize the symptoms in order to be able to seek help. And then there's the, uh, the stigma part. And you also need to trust the psychologist you're talking to. It's not, okay, you have to trust a surgeon who is operating on your leg as well, but you don't need an alliance, if you get what I mean. And then it's also quite common to have a lack of confidence, a lack of self-worth, fear of relapse, and, and also the, the worrying about what will my colleagues think or what will my boss think, as this is a sign of weakness, but it isn't. And I think we're not, we are trained to, you know, suppress our vulnerability in a way. Uh, we are not used to thinking that we also are vulnerable. We, we are humans as well. We're not just a veterinarian. We are also a mother or a father, a brother or a sister or a colleague or a friend. And we have a lot of arenas in our lives that we are supposed to engage in and, and thrive in. So it's, I think, I personally think that it's not a good idea to burn off all your energy at work because you will encounter other struggles in your life. And then you have to have this residual energy to you know face that and and uh, you know this is a big discussion but you have to take care of yourself to be able to take care of others 
so you you did my transition for me into the next question because <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know, the a big thing that we're pushing for at Galaxy Vets, and I know that you've been an advocate for as well, is the change in the language to the veterinary oath. You know, we want to include a piece that that has the promise to take care of yourself as well as you're taking care of your patients. How has that been, you know, perceived on your side of the world? And, you know, what do you think is the things that we can do as a group to be able to get people to to encourage them to support that language change? A phenomenal job that you've done on that matter, uh, just to say that first. I think it's really important. This was actually made by the physicians and the World Medical Association back in 2017. So it's not very many years ago, if you look at it in a larger you know, view. And they included a paragraph in their Hippocratic Oath that said that I will attend to my own health and my own well-being to be able to provide care of the highest standard. And by that, I think they acknowledge the fact that you actually have to take care of yourself in order to do a good job with your patients. But not the, not just that. You have to do that in, in order to take care of your children or your spouse or your, you know, so this is important on so many levels. And I've actually advocated for this in my lectures for the vet students in Norway and when I hold talks in in. Um, within the profession. And I think that we are getting there, but, you know, formally getting it into an oath takes time, I guess. But I think it's a really important job that you're doing, and I think we will get there. Well, thank you. Yeah, put your own oxygen mask first. I think that's uh, that's what we need <laughs> to think about when it comes to... And, and some people think that it's a small thing, you know, what the oath is going to change. Well, I think that if you change in the North Star... That's where the strategy starts. And if you're thinking about it, Ellen, thank you so much for taking a part in this podcast. I've been very uh, excited to meet you in person with all the studies that you're doing and the more that it's coming. We're really hoping to collaborate with you further. Uh, potentially, if we can at Galaxy, conduct any sort of surveys, experiments or anything like that to work on this issue, because that's a major focus on our end. Mm. Uh, we are not specialists in psychology or psychiatry, but uh, we are specializing in building the work environment and the business methodologies that support uh, the well-being of veterinarians, essentially making them happy and intrinsically motivated to do what they're passionate doing, treating pets. So thank you so much for, for attending. Um, we have two questions that we ask at the end. Um, and is there a book or TED Talk or a video or, or any resource that you would like to recommend our listeners to, to access? Um, there's actually a TED Talk uh, of Brené Brown. I don't know if you've heard about her, but that's um, it's mm -hmm, a TED Talk mm -hmm. about uh, the difference between empathy and sympathy. And it um, describes how you can talk to someone that struggles. And I think it's really nice because it's sh it shows you or gives you a concrete tool to, uh, you know, um, a guidance to, to take those difficult conversations. And the main message is you, you have to listen. That's a first, first aid for helping someone that struggles, that is to be available and listen to them. Perfect. All right. And our next question that we always ask is, is there someone that you think we should have on the podcast with us? Someone else in the veterinary domain or that can, you know, that's been a valuable for you to work with or talk with also? Um, yeah, I do. Um, I heard uh, a talk from Ingibjörg Jonsdottir. She's uh, from Iceland. 
Oh no! Uh, you're sorry. spelling that wrong. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have her email. You have someone named John. <laughs> yeah, I can send you the name. Uh, but she uh, works at the Institute for Stress Medicine in Sweden, and she she's working with burnout and has been lo- working a lot with that. Okay. Um, and she talks a lot about the role of the organization in burnout and the role of the organization uh, uh, when it comes to preventing burnout in your staff. And she's really great to listen to and has this view of, because the discussion on mental health and vets are very focused on the individual things that veterinarians have to do. We have to get better at, you know, taking care of ourselves and so on and so on. But you, you know, uh, you can't tell every wet to start practicing yoga and mindfulness and you, you just expect that problems will solve by yourself. You know, this is organizational right. problems as well. Uh, and I think uh, Inge Björg uh, uh, describes this very well. So I can send you the name. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Well, we, we really appreciate it. And, and again, this was spectacular. It's, it's incredible to get a chance to see that, that, these problems aren't unique just to certain regions or certain professions or certain types of people. It's it really is a global problem, and it's something that we can all uh, do our best to tackle. So again, uh, Helena, we really appreciate you you being on the show with us, and, and appreciate having you. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Likewise, cheers. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com.